Hello and welcome to this podcast from the BBC World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. An original audio drama series from the BBC World Service. Fukushima tells the story of the 2011 disaster at Japan's Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. We lose the Daiichi plant, then we lose Japan as we know it. Listen to the series now by searching for Fukushima wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello, I'm James Gallagher and welcome to Discovery on the BBC World Service. Today, the challenges of putting food on the table, feeding yourself and your family in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. Food price inflation is at record highs around the world, causing devastation in many low-income countries. But today, I'm looking at the increasing numbers struggling to feed themselves even in rich countries and the damage that can cause to health both in the short and the long term. The UK is one of the world's wealthiest countries, and yet I've come to Coventry in the West Midlands in England, and I'm just going to cross the road from the famous cathedral to go into a place called The Pantry. It's run by the charity St Giles, but it's a place for people who can't afford to feed their families, and it's one of a growing number of food support services that have sprung up across the UK. And here people pay a discounted rate for a wide variety of different foods. It's a very noisy door, but apart from that, if you came in here, you'd be mistaken for thinking you're in a posh cafe or kind of like a farm shop because you've got wooden crates full of fresh fruit and vegetables, fridges, again, full of fresh foods, coffee machine in the corner, and it's a very warm and friendly place. This is celeriac. Um, it's the root of the celery. Um, you can use it like mashed potatoes, dauphinoise, roast potatoes in your stews. Um, you just cut the top and the bottom and the sides off and you can just use it like a normal potato. The pantry's full of helpful advice like that and it's getting busier as food prices soar. So I've come to meet young mum Ellie, who's vegan, as well as Serafina, who's her guide around the pantry. Hi Ellie, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. And who's this little one? This is Henrietta, a year old. Yeah. Very cute. <laughs> and you've come here with Serafina, who's going to take this round. Hi. We have over here the yellow items. You get three yellow items. And then over in the corner you get two orange items, which are your branded items. So there's things like pasta, stock, beans, and spaghetti to choose from. And I think today I'm going to choose some black beans. You're mentally planning out <laughs> meals as you're looking yeah. at it all. And there's, there's quite a good choice as well, so I'm trying to think. Let me get the fridge for you. Thank you. <laughs> can have any other fresh items from here. We've got mangoes, spring onions, limes, carrots, tomatoes. Uh, can I get all of them, please? <laughs> Thank you. It's a nice selection, isn't it? It's really nice, and I, I love how you can take as many fruit and vegetables as you want, so we can bulk a lot of meals up with that as well. What, what do you think you're making? I like doing a lot of slow-cooked things, because it's nice and easy, so I just, just bunch them in. So we'll probably put, yeah, probably put the beans that I got earlier, and the tomatoes yeah, and carrots and things, and maybe have it with the pasta. 
I find it quite helpful to bulk cook because I get quite anxious if I've already got things ready. Trying to cook with a young baby can be quite difficult too. So if we've got things ready in the freezer, I can just defrost it ready to ready to eat and it means that we've got like a healthy option and we've had lots of fruit and veg here before that that we've like cut up got home i've prepared it all and then put it in the freezer so that i've got like ready to go like chopped carrots ready to go to just put a few in um nothing goes to waste yeah exactly how have you found the cost of food over the past year yeah it's gone up so much and I've I'm not working I was on maternity leave but I'm not working now because we can't afford the childcare costs so it's been a real worry for us for where we're gonna get the next meal and where we're gonna save so that we can afford to just go to the supermarket without the worry of oh can we afford that this week and can we manage to get this this week so it's given us a lot of freedom coming here knowing that although it doesn't doesn't like feed us for the whole week it feeds us for a good majority and things that that we wouldn't really be able to afford in the supermarket like like mangoes or asparagus we've had it before they're really expensive in the supermarket so it means that we can have a good variety here and that they're fresh whereas in the in the supermarket we'd get lots of tinned things or frozen fruit and veg whereas you just can't beat having fresh stuff it just tastes so much nicer I think going on, kind of like having a child is always such a massive strain on the finances anyway, yeah. isn't it? And then like maternity yeah. pay just like doesn't Absolutely. make up for it in normal times. And the past year when prices are rocketing everywhere, yeah. it must have been a challenge. Yeah, and you know, we, we weren't ever at the rock bottom point, but I was not sleeping very well, really worrying about money. And it took a lot for me to come here to begin with because I felt like well my partner's working maybe it's not really for us and I felt quite ashamed and worried about it and normally like we would give to these projects like when we when we did have two incomes we would be like donating things and so I found it quite difficult coming to begin with but now I realise that actually it's preventing me getting to the point where we can't cope and that's what's really helpful and just like all the sleepless nights of thinking like nappies are so expensive when Henrietta started like weaning as well, we needed to add more things, especially fresh fruit and veg. We wanted her to enjoy vegetables and fruit. So we wanted to make sure that we introduced those really early on. Yeah. So it was just more and more expense that we just never really thought about before. And how long are you allowed to come here for? I think because of the demand being so high, they're limiting it to six months. We're on month three or four now. So that's why it's really helpful that they're looking at budgeting and things with me so that when the support does end, I'm not just left and don't know what to do again. So I think it's really helped to, that the pantry is such a sustainable project um, and will make a difference in our lives afterwards as well. It's like a lifeline for when you need it. But yeah, then... absolutely. It's, it's been such a relief knowing that we can get regular support whether that be like to talk things through or like practical support as well as the food has been brilliant. I'm just curious, is there anything that you've eaten having come here that you would never have touched before? Yes. Last week I got a bag of tapioca. I'd never heard of it, I, I, never seen it before, and it was actually really nice. So, yeah, it's made me try some different things. <laughs> you can really hear the difference that coming to the pantry makes to Ellie, can't you? Ellie's dealing with the challenges of what's known as food security and you've probably got an instinctive feeling for what that means but 
technically it's an assessment of people's ability to access, afford, and use food. So that means everything from poverty to a disability that makes it hard to cook affects people's food security. My name is Megan Blake. I'm a senior lecturer in human geography at the University of Sheffield, and I'm an expert in food security in economically wealthy contexts. Megan, welcome to Discovery. So, how many people in the UK are classed as food insecure, and is that the right phrase to use? Food insecure. We tend to try to use the more positive language of being food secure, and so there are four levels of food security. There are people who have high food security, and that's about. 70% of the adults in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, according to the government statistics. We also have a level called marginal food security. And these are people who are really worried about their food, but they're getting enough to live a healthy life. Then we have people who are low or very low food secure. And these are the people that we think of as being maybe in food poverty. Many of these people who are at low or very low food security are cutting back on the healthy foods that they need or eliminating them altogether because they're too expensive and they're too risky or they are skipping meals. We hear stories about people skipping meals for multiple days, drinking just sugar water to kind of get through until they can get enough to get another meal. And how many people are in those low or lower levels of food security? The current most available national statistics, it's about 17% of the adult population in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. For each 1% is about 500,000 people. So we're talking seven and a half million adults are in that, in that situation. And of course, many of those people will also have children in their homes. That seems like a huge number. When you tell people that, are they, they surprised? I'm a bit surprised. It is, it's an appalling number and it's gone up considerably over, over the last several years. So it's even worse now than it was at the height of the pandemic. Do you think just as a country, we've kind of got our heads around how many people live with low levels of food security that frequently are worried about where the next meal is going to come from? And that we kind of almost think that it's actually quite rare when you're telling me it's really quite common. Some of the conversations I've had have been really amazing at the lack of awareness that some people have. I think we have been told for years that it's other parts of the world and that countries, wealthy countries like the United Kingdom or like the United States are, don't have problems with food insecurity. And we don't at a national scale. If we just look at country level, not households, there is plenty of food within the country for us to access and feed everyone. But when you go down to the scale of households in places like the United Kingdom, that food is not reaching people. And I don't think people understand that fully. So we tend to think we have tended for years to be told it's not a problem. It's not a problem when in fact... We've always had an issue with food insecurity in this country. It's just gotten a whole lot worse over the last 10 to 15 years. So how many people are using food banks in order to you know, get through an average week? Only about 1.2 million people used a food bank out of the 7.4 million people who would have qualified to use those. This varies by group, but the group most likely to use a food bank are households with three or more children. And even amongst this group, only about half of those who are eligible did so. So there's a real gulf here between people who need or would benefit from using a food bank and people who actually are. That's correct. 
What's going on there? There is, uh, for some people, there is a lot of stigmas. Also, we tend to talk in terms of poverty. And when we talk about poverty, somebody is always worse off. So when I go to communities and talk to people, nobody describes themselves as living in poverty. They describe themselves as struggling. But they it's always some other person who is living in poverty, and there's always somebody worse off. So a lot of people don't think it's for them or available. It's help that they can access. So there's kind of a combination of things going on. I didn't completely believe the numbers earlier. It is shocking. and Like seven and a half million adults is. Yeah, it's that's low, probably. That's, yeah, that's based off of a very large survey the Food Standards Agency collects. It's a really robust survey, and it's the official statistic. That's a a lot of people, and their indicators are that this number is going up. We're going to hear more from Megan again in a minute as we continue to explore the impact of rising food prices on health. But back at the pantry in Coventry, Danielle, who's a mum of four, is checking out the cheese with Adelia. Slices got the mature one there. Was and have you ever tried that in a creamy pasta? Pop that in the oven. I might We've like not try that actually because I, nice. I don't I don't really like pasta, but my kids love it. <laughs> Danielle, just tell me, what have you managed to get in your basket today? So I've got breakfast for the kids, I've got pasta, potatoes, there's um, a few little snacky bits in there, I like a lot of fruit and vegetables as well. It's just nice to fill your your fridge and your your cupboards up just that little bit more. For £3.50, you can't moan about what I've got in that basket anyway. Not at all. Um, How many are you feeding at home? So there's me and two teenagers at home, but I have my other two children as well that come stop all the time, so it's me and four children usually that I feed. Okay, it's teenage boys, isn't it? Teenage boys, yes, they eat loads. They (laughs) They eat me out of house and home. They love me coming to the pantry because it's like different stuff all the time. Um, it's quite a nice mix in here as well, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it's, it's not all just tins. No, this is very relaxed. You pay £3.50, so you feel like you're paying towards them, that you're not getting it for free. And Danielle, have you noticed the difference on the weekly shop over the last yeah, year or I so? Mean, yeah, the prices have obviously gone up sky high. It's very hard for me to budget at the moment, but... You know, coming here, I know I've, if, as long as I've got £3.50, I've got an extra few days shop or, you know, an extra few meals. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Whereas before, I was worrying about when's the next time I could get a food shop together. Was well, that a big worry then? That was Just a kind of like getting to the, me. you know, how am yeah. I going to feed my kids? Yeah, a massive worry. It's, I mean, I'm on benefits. So at the time, I didn't have any heating or hot water at home. So. Obviously, I was putting more money on electric, so it was a case mm. of, do I choose food or electric? So, you know, like, it was very much like that for a long time. This has helped massively. How long would this last with four kids? I mean, probably won't last very long, but... Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 they're growing kids. It does, it does last a little bit, a few days, a couple of days, maybe. Because <laughs> like, it's a lot of responsibility. Two at home, another two that are there with you some of the time. I mean, like, that must be quite a weight on your shoulders to kind of keep yeah. everything going yeah yeah it's very hard as i'm a single parent it's not just food it's clothes and stuff mm. as well so everything and everything's rose in price what would happen if this wasn't here i mean i'd probably have to go to a food bank 
but I don't like going to them. I don't. I choose not to if I can. Mm. Like I say, somewhere like this, you just feel a lot more relaxed and stuff. So I can see it's making a difference to you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, my children, they love to come back and have a home cooked meal and come back from school. And it's there ready, so they love it. So. Yeah, because this would cost a fortune if you went and bought it, it in would. the shop, wouldn't it? It would probably cost over t- over twenty pounds anyway. Yeah, I'm actually doing a, a course here as well to ho- hopefully be what Adelia is. At, so I've started a course and I'm starting to build myself back up again. I'm back, I'm back again. Have you had to rethink how you make food as well? Because like everything here is like you, you've got to do a fair bit of cooking. Yeah, for it just be a meal like in, out the freezer into the oven. But I do cook a lot of fresh food now. It goes a lot further when you cook from scratch. What are your favourites? Oh, I love a good stew. I love a stew and a casserole. Stew, casserole, yeah. Yeah, that or a, a Sunday dinner. Where does the food come from? So um, it's donated from Fair Share. They get their food donated from all like supermarkets, and then they collect all that together and they'll give us a delivery. It's based on weight, so again, you never know what you're going to get. Have your kids noticed an, any change over the last year? I'm just wondering because you know, as parents, we always try to hide the rest of the world of what's going on from our kids so much, um, don't we? I think my kids are my kids are pretty street smart they know what's going on in the world they can see that i've struggled over the past year or so and they're they're pretty good kids to be fair and is there anything you've come across for the first time coming here yes that would be celeriac (laughs) (laughs) i am curious about how today's celeriac goes down with teenage boys but what this project here is doing is it's keeping fruit and vegetables on the plate, on the dining table. Now, Dr. Megan Blake says that when you're cutting costs, fruit and veg are often the first things to be culled from the weekly shop. In communities where people are struggling, what happens is diets narrow to foods that are safe, foods that are going to last so you get your value from them, and that pe- things that people can get home and that pe- their kids will eat. So it makes a lot more logical sense in that context for households within within these spaces to buy things like frozen pizza because the frozen pizza is the same on Friday as it is on Monday. There isn't any waste. Everybody likes pizza. It's not going to cause a fight with the kids. People who are struggling are also really having a hard time. They're, they're really stressed out. They're, they're, they're stretched. They're stressed. They're anxious. Being food insecure really settles into people and affects their mental and physical health. And as a result of that, the diet improvements kind of go out the window. Having said that, when we talk to people in these communities, they want to eat fruits and veg. They understand what healthy eating is. It's not because they're choosing not to eat healthily. It's just that within the wider context of their decisions, they're having to cut back on those healthier items. And and a cost also does impact. You know, those sorts of things go off faster. Is, is it too simplistic to say that a low level of food security is less healthy? No, it's all right to say that. It is the case. Having very low food security is less healthy for you. And there's lots of, you know, they're not eating enough. They're not getting enough calories. They're not getting the right kinds of calories. And then they have the mental issues. We also know that people who are already in very bad health are also very much more vulnerable to food insecurity. Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Well, we're joined now by Professor Sir Michael Marmot from University College London, who spent a career researching the consequences of inequality and poverty. Michael, welcome to Discovery on the BBC. Thank you. So we've heard from Danielle and Ellie in today's programme in Coventry. And I'm just wondering, are those experiences now far more common 
just due to the circumstances we're going through at the moment with the prices of everything soaring? What we're going through at the moment is a culmination of two previous shocks. The first being a decade of austerity that's made things much more difficult for people on low incomes. The second was the pandemic, of course. And now the third is the cost of living crisis. But it's important to see the current crisis in the context of those previous two. How does that compare to what you've seen over the course of your career? Is this a uniquely challenging period people are going through? It is a uniquely challenging period. What we've seen, firstly, look at overall life expectancy as a measure of health. Through the whole of the 20th century, up until 2010, life expectancy was improving about one year every four years for women and for men. That's amazing, dramatic, really impressive. After 2010, the rate of improvements slowed dramatically and just about ground to a halt. Second, if we look at health inequalities, so classify people by where they live, classify where they live by level of deprivation, the greater the deprivation, the shorter the life expectancy, and that gradient got steeper. And particularly when we look regionally, life expectancy for the poorest people was actually going up in London, but for the poorest people, life expectancy was going down in virtually every region outside London. And that's amazing to see health getting worse for significant subgroups of the population. And that was all before the pandemic. Then the pandemic made things worse. What I was thinking a lot about today, Michael, was chatting to Danielle and thinking about her four children, chatting to Ellie about, you know, Henrietta, who's, you know, not even crawling yet. Now, both mums there are getting support through the pantry, but there'll be lots of parents in a similar position who aren't getting that support. And I'm, I'm just wondering what impact that has on somebody's whole life ahead of them. Early childhood is absolutely fundamental. What we know is that there's, again, a social gradient, the greater the deprivation, the less likely are children at age five to have a good level of development. And that's fundamental. And that changes what happens through the rest of life. Children who have a poor level of development at age five do less well in school. Children who do less well in school, less likely to get qualifications, greater propensity to ill health. And it starts in early childhood. So it's really fundamental. So we're basically baking in decades of consequences from what's happened through austerity, pandemic and cost of living crisis combined. We are baking in adverse conditions throughout the life course. But my assumption is it's never too late to intervene that ideally we get a good early childhood experience. But children who've had an adverse childhood experience, we still can improve things through the school system, through the teenage years. It's never too late to intervene. What can be done? Coventry is what's known as a, a marmot city, named after you in that regard, Michael, isn't it? So kind of like what what action can actually be done in places like Coventry, where when it was named a Marmot City, there was a 10-year gap between men in the richest areas and the poorest areas. What can actually be changed? 
our assumption is and our hope is that whatever is happening nationally that might be adverse can be at least to some extent counteracted at the city level and the assumption is that what's done locally can really make a difference and the data coming out of coventry are moderately encouraging it looks like there has been improvement in the proportion of children age 5 with a good level of development so in other words services for young children for mothers fathers and young children can make a difference in supporting them the proportion of young people leaving school not in employment education or training 18 to 24 year olds that proportion has gone down in coventry the proportion of people earning a living wage has gone up in coventry so it looks like there's positive developments that can happen at the city level in a way despite the adverse conditions that are happening at the national level michael do you think there's just an issue here that people at some level really struggle to to pay attention to this i mean i just wonder like i was really shocked by some of the numbers that megan mentioned earlier about the number of the proportion of adults in the uk living with low levels of food security and i was really struck i was shocked by the scale of those numbers and i i just don't like this is just my impression but i don't feel that most people realize that's the country we live in i was in morocco recently and um people from jordan were talking about the level of food insecurity in jordan and i said excuse me we've got the same levels of food insecurity in the united kingdom one in four families with children one in six families without children this is really really shocking and food insecurity is related to poverty and it's related to the price of food of course and the supply of nutritious food at affordable prices and there's much that could be done at a national level but failing to have pay for people in the public employment rise in line with inflation is a calculated decision to make it harder for people to make ends meet and the result is cold homes fuel poverty and food insecurity which will damage children and adults and it could be changed with better policies now put the points made by sir michael momot to the uk government this is their reply we recognize the impact that rising prices are having on homes which is why we are providing significant support this year and next this includes holding down energy bills uplifting benefits and the state pension increasing the national living wage as well as delivering direct cash payments to vulnerable households that's it for this edition of discovery from the bbc it's a snapshot of what's happening in just one country but there are echoes of this around the world the producer of this program was geraldine fitzgerald i've been james gallagher thanks for listening in march 2011 japan's fukushima nuclear power plant was struck by a massive earthquake stay down get under this if you can cover your head and stay down an hour later a tsunami followed in its wake flooding its basements cutting the power turning the stricken plant into a ticking time bomb it's all underwater station blackout reactor control systems have lost all power fukushima 
an original audio drama series from the BBC World Service, tells the story of those fighting to contain the disaster and of those living with its legacy. Why do you seek forgiveness? I'm the one whose job it was to make sure the disaster couldn't happen. Search for Fukushima wherever you get your BBC podcasts.